If somebody gave me this podcast, Mr. Vance, I would eat it. It's these cards and the, uh, it's these podcasts and the movies and the pop songs. They're all to blame for the lies and heartache. Everything. We're responsible. I'm responsible. I think we do a bad thing here. 500 Days of Summer coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevene. Hey all, Tim here. We have an excellent episode in store for you all today. We did have some technical issues converting our guests' audio over after we finished recording. There will be some staticky moments, but it doesn't take away from the excellent conversation we had with Abby. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today, that person is myself. But I'm not going to talk to Tommy right away because we have a very special guest with us, Abby from the Sidetrack podcast. Abby, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Of course. And Sidetracked is a, a podcast about motion picture soundtracks and label compilations that introduced her and her co-host John to the music that they love. Abby, tell us a little bit about uh, your show. Thank you. Yeah, you do a great job introing it. But we are, yeah, we're a podcast that examines not only like our love of music and movies, but how soundtracks helped us discover some of our favorite bands in a pre-digital era. So, you know, Back in the 90s, when we were on soundtracks, were like a quick, easy, cheap way to find new bands. And the majority of the soundtracks we cover introduced us to like our very favorite bands. So that's sort of that's that's where we started. That's where we're going. And I'm so excited. Right now, we're covering a lot of 90s movies, but we're kind of going to be in the 80s and 2000s, and the world is full of possibilities. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Yeah, because like some of my favorite bands I discovered through like uh you know movies and stuff like that, like Adventureland. That's how I discovered the replacements, and they're my favorite band ever. So um movies are really just the best way to find music, I feel like oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And this mm-hmm. movie is no different. This is 500 Days of Summer. Things were going so well. From the director of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes an experimental film. It's part she and him, part Don John, and part romantic comedy. It gives you 500 days of summer. The romantic comedy that made the early 2010s all about hipsters. So yeah. this this is my first time watching this movie. Uh, it was we were talking with Abby before, and she was saying that this is a movie that she's seen countless, countless times. Abby, is this one of your you know favorites, especially in like the romantic comedy genre? The funny thing is when you even like proposed us talking about this, I didn't even think about what you movie is because I think like, my late 20s when I was living with my best friend we 
actually like went to sleep every night watching the movie. <laughs> so we <laughs> would play this movie as we both fell asleep. Correct on TV, obviously. So we went through the full credits, full everything, and we would just sleep with it on all night. And then um, when I met my partner now, and like we, one of she and him's songs was like our wedding song. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, wow. And like when we yeah. met, um, it was right. So yeah, it, it's those movies were like, when I think about it, it's like, oh, it's a pretty big part of it. Like the first conversation I had with my partner was about this movie because we met the year this came out. So <laughs> I don't know. We were just that. Kind of people <laughs> Michelle yeah. when we met out like smoking and we were talking this movie it's so cliche that it kind of like, bothers me now but it's very funny to think of like oh yeah this movie is a big deal in my life so I'm super <laughs> excited to be here and I cannot wait to hear what you think of it too so I I really enjoyed it like romantic comedies are probably probably the genre of movie I'm the most cynical about personally just because like there's so much just like failure to launch how to lose a guy yeah. in 10 days just your typical like trash or whatever <laughs> stay yeah. up their moments but you know just their typical like this is a romantic comedy beat for beat for beat for beat i like how this movie is really stylized and the way it's told in a non-sequential order and just kind of time hops around willy-nilly really effectively brings the like the point and the story home because i think it's just a really effective way to take to twist a existing genre that you you know probably wouldn't expect like I, i'll say this off the bat like I, right at the beginning one of the first shots of the movie is them on the bench on day 483 or whatever and then from from there i'm like oh okay so he he ends up getting the girl like that's what it's implying there but he he doesn't Spo spoilers for like a 14 year old movie but uh if you're listening then you know, <laughs> you should yeah. know. yeah so so he he doesn't get the girl but i i enjoyed i enjoyed the soundtrack for sure could definitely see i could definitely see this being a good movie to just kind of have on and just fall asleep to because it's got that like Zone warm <laughs> peaceful feeling to it I think it was a good blend. I think one of the staples where I think maybe they kind of like repurposed an existing script is this follows the very typical rom-com uh, trope of having the friends, which is just his friends. And they're all just kind of like one note characters the entire time. But other than that, like, I, you know, I don't need them to be developed. It's not, not what the story's about, but it's really well paced. It's really well acted. And yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. So then from there, the soundtrack. So Tommy and Abby, I know you're both big soundtrack people. Tell me, like, what are some of your favorite songs and your favorite moments from the movie regarding the soundtrack? So it just talk about, first of all, how great the soundtrack is in itself. We have Regina Spector on here, The Smiths. This is how I found out about The Smiths. We can talk about movies we discovered, like bands we love. Hall Notes, obviously, that needle drop is just hilarious and that's uh, obviously a song that everyone now loves because of this movie it was a great before too but you know the movie helped it <laughs> well it brings it back that's actually yeah. actually that's a bone i have to pick because it was one another one in legally blonde which i i really enjoyed but like that pop and locket scene i was like eh, not for me i get what they were doing in it but it's like why is there so much synchronized dancing in <laughs> like romantic comedy dance? i i, I don't, like the scene i i don't dislike a 
synchronized dance, but I'm just like, well, why are they in all these movies? But I get it. It's a good way to symbolize having sex. But again, it's one of those little romantic comedy nitpicks I just have. <laughs> I, I mean, did you, did you like the scene of uh, the Hall Notes scene? <laughs> oh my God. I loved it. I loved it so much. And this is where I guess I, I'm also one of those people that I like deep diving into facts of all these movies. So I that I used to fall asleep to the DVD, which meant we would also go to all the deleted scenes. And <laughs> so in, I guess, the, there, there is a deleted scene that's called like the morning after or the worst morning. And it is essentially the flip side of the Hollow Notes scene. Did, have either of you seen this, heard of this? No. No, no, I haven't, no. I might have oh. to watch it after this. It's so good. And I forgot, I didn't get a chance to like, Wait, I didn't get to go back to my DVD and watch what song it is too. But essentially, it is just like imagine Tom just being really sad and musically and you know choreographically really sad. So it's really good for the cartoon sad birds, and then everyone kind of <laughs> something catches on fire. Like it's perfect. And for me, as like a huge fan of the movie, it only makes the whole better because i know mm-hmm. there were two and i wish that the other was kept in but yeah i love it sh- i love they should the have inclusion had- of that song plus I, I, pardon oh no uh, i uh, i said I, lo- I, lo- I love that scene too it's just like it, we need that inverse of it where um you know the f- sad and happy if it just like just because it right there so just like immediately after we sell that it'd be hilarious and oh, like I- I think it was the part it would have fit right. right in when he walks out of the uh the store with the couple right and he's just like they're just walking by that is like, when that is when it get was. a room yeah. oh i, w- I wouldn't have like hall notes she's gone yeah. or something. <laughs> well i i i imagine it was a pacing issue yeah i'm sure they did they probably didn't put all that work into that scene to then cut it now here's an interesting question after that you have the hall notes yeah. scene right what is the inverse if we if this movie was primarily focused on summer what song is being played for her after the first time they hook up oh that's a good one. Oh, that's such a good song or such a question probably so i feel like some kind of like 60s girl group like the crystals or yeah run it it's like something like that Oh, definitely just like Motown, whatever, or something like that. Just like playing whatever. It's just a relaxing song. We're just like very chill. It's like, oh, that's fine. That's cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely um, it. And I mean, you know, you're backed up by an incredible soundtrack, but, you know, the kind of the crux of this movie. And I think one of the reasons why I think this movie has a lot of rewatchability to it is trying to figure out between Tom and Summer, like who's in the right and who's in the wrong. And I saw an interview with, it was with both a Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel, where she was like, I get women who come up to me all the time and say, like, I hated your character in that movie. And I don't really get it. I mean, she's pretty upfront being like, I'm not looking for anything serious. And I kind of get where he's coming from. If you're with somebody for like six months, spending every day together, it's like, you are a couple, right? But it's his like viewpoint on love that's completely different from hers where she's just like this is fun where he's kind of like you are the one you're the person i want to spend the rest of my life with which is kind of an intense stark difference which yeah. is probably the reason why the relationship failed because if he just took it very casual and breezy and wasn't trying to make it more 
than it was, maybe they would have stayed together. But that just that's just not yeah. who he who he is. I think the problem was that he put her up on a pedestal that he immediately was like, this person is perfect. She's like an angel, essentially like nothing wrong with her. And he just kept on like having this expectation over and over again, that like, there's nothing wrong this person can do. And we're in a great relationship. Whereas she from the front was like, Hey, I'm not looking for anything serious. I'm just looking for something casual. And he just like, just kind of just flew over his head over and over again. (laughs) I think one of the most stylized moments, and I have a clip here from, expectations versus reality and it's when he goes back to the party after they've broken up and he thinks it's going to be this entirely different thing and it's not exactly what he thought it was going to be So I, I think personally, this is like the most, uh, this is like this realization, like the wake up moment for Tom. Abby, when you first saw this movie and versus now, does this scene still hold the same kind of punch and like emotional impact and weight as it goes through all the different segments of him introducing his job, him thinking he's going to be flirting with her versus him just drinking a beer by himself casually on a rooftop, which is that gift that you'll see a million times on the internet. Is it, is it still there on your 20th viewing? Well, I haven't watched it. So last night's the first time I've watched it since we got married, which was, it's been, yeah, it's been 10 years since I watched it. And oh, wow. this scene is still like the exact same like, gut punch. Like it is, it's just exactly who hasn't been in that situation where you have romanticized the hell out of something and you go, and it's completely different. But I think, like, for me, what makes this, when we're, when we're looking at, like, this is a rom-com, this scene is what makes this different from every other romantic comedy. Because it's, like, no holds back. Like, no one's holding back on how shitty romance is. Like, it is, romance is so exciting. But it is the worst thing as well. Like, falling in love is the best and the worst. And Tom... I don't know, this scene just shows us how hard it is for both of them, specifically from Tom's perspective, which is way harder in the moment. Yeah, I, I think that the needle drop too in this, um, like uh, the Regina Spector song, just like hits at home. Like it t- we talked about the soundtrack earlier, this is just one of those moments that like you don't really see that many movies like use like a song, a needle drop that's just like this is gonna be depressing. You're gonna cry your eyes out when you hear the song right now. So because <laughs> yeah, it's just intense. <laughs> Right? So what actually, he picked this song specifically for this scene, and then they built the scene around that song, because he said, how could we, or he said directorially, like, how can anyone um, put a 
sound to visuals. Like you need to put visuals with sound. And so um, Zoe and they were both, they were filming those scenes based on the beats of that song. And I can't even imagine how hard that would be to do twice so differently. But if you watch it simultaneously, well, I mean, if you watch it simultaneously, but separately, so you can actually yeah. focus, like you'll notice it every single movement is on the seat and it's just those are and that's what makes this different from ten guys or um not ten things i hate about you sorry uh, how to lose a guy in ten days right yeah. like it's a great movie i love that movie but yeah this is what sets us apart and makes it like the god that's staying power i think it helps that Mark Webb, uh, his background was like a music video director, apparently. So, I mean, he's done videos for like My Chemical Romance, Santana, like Green Day, Maroon 5, and even Regina Spector. He did one of her uh, songs for um, the same album that this song was on. So obviously that's where he got the connection. And he, he obviously, you can see yeah. like, this is where he got like, you know, all the scales for all the needle drops. And that's why like this movie is just chock full of great, like just song drops right there. <laughs> right. Yeah, thank you. And so I called him Mark Weber. I only anyway, thank you for <laughs> it's it's fine. He yes, direct <laughs> he directed the amazing Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's it's fine if you get him mixed up. <laughs> uh, uh, and it's funny in contrast because we watched Forrest Gump last week. One I haven't seen her in a couple of years. We talk we were talking about needle drops last week on that podcast where it was like some of them felt so predictable somebody like we posted a clip of from uh that episode where we said oh you know we're sick of fortunate son does credence clearwater revival have a deal with every hollywood studio and somebody just comments being like well the song's about the jingoism and the business of the u.s it's like i understand what the song's about i'm just saying it's in every single vietnam movie like if there's a movie about the war in vietnam i'm expecting that song to be there be nice to maybe subvert my expectations a little Mm -hmm. bit so, I mean, what helps about this is that it feels more naturalistic compared to like Forrest Gump, which we covered last week, where that just felt forced, like you're saying. Whereas this feels like, you know, we're really listening to like what Joseph Thorne Leonard and Zoe Deschanel's characters would be listening to. And they both have great taste in music, I consider. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. 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 So, one of the things I think aged poorly in this movie was. Tom's take on Ringo Starr and nobody loving Ringo Starr. And I think the Peter Jackson documentary, the Beatles one that just came out uh, last December, changed that stance for me completely. Did you, were, did you watch that? Did you, did you kind of be like, oh, Ringo's kind of the man? I did, yeah. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the girl that I used to play with always, George and Ringo Starr were her favorite so I always thought that that was like a shitty opinion <laughs> from Tom anyway yeah I I, ne- I never got the full I guess you just didn't have the solo career that Paul and George and John had but yeah like here like nobody likes Ringo Starr I'm like if you watch a documentary of the behind the scenes of them you'd be like oh Ringo's just like a sweet sweet guy he's happy to be there He's the underdog. He's the one that like almost doesn't belong because he knows that Pete Best was kicked out of the band. He's just waiting for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> He's not ruffling any feathers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop right now. But that being said, Ringo has my favorite uh, yeah. solo Beatles song um, of any of the Beatles. So I'll say that much. <laughs> I'm a Ringo guy. I'll, I'll form. <laughs> oh, how summer. It's very, very summer. Yeah. <laughs> 
So you heard it here, folks. Haven't seen it in Sidetrack, officially Ringo Star Podcast. Ringo, you're welcome to come on any of our shows at any time. I know you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Come on, Ringo. <laughs> we, we'd love to have you on. Ringo stands for sure. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of chemistry, I think both George, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel, they have really good chemistry in this movie. And I think a lot of it is like physical. Where do you guys think, how do you guys think the chemistry was? Do you think it was like the right chemistry for this kind of relationship? Because it's different than normal rom-coms. It's usually like one person likes the other too much or whatever, or some circumstance or whatever. This is just a girl who casually says like, I'm not looking for anything serious. I think it's a little different than what you would normally get in terms of the initial prognosis of a relationship in a, in a romantic comedy. I completely agree. I completely agree that the chemistry is absolutely there, but it's different. Like we don't have the cute, like again, going back to like Kate Hudson, Matthew McConaughey, like we don't have this adorable meet cute that like ends up being this explosive, amazing thing, right? Like even when they go and they rent the porn for shower sex, like, I mean, it's kind of awkward and it's kind of, you don't know what, either one of them is thinking at any given time and it's so obvious. And so like the chemistry is a build up to exactly what we kind of knew from the very beginning was gonna happen with the relationship. And I think it's perfect. And I think that Zoe Janelle is like the perfect choice because we learn from the beginning that everyone loves her, but kind of for nothing that she ever intended them to love her for, right? Like she quotes Belle and Sebastian and then their album sales go up. But yeah. how would that ever make sense? Except that she's just innately cool and doesn't try. And then you have like Tom, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's just the cutest, sweetest, but clearly very clueless person. And I, I love them, but it's also like a heartbreaking chemistry to me. It shows really well just like the difference between them, whereas like you could kind of tell them all, all the scenes that like Joseph Gordon Levitt just has like puppy dog eyes on Zoe Deschanel, just like Wanda immediately just like, oh my god, you're amazing, I love you. Whereas she just like is kind of playing a little bit of act, a little bit detached, a little bit more. But you can see why they worked out at first and why they worked as friends, and then why they like whoever it was, they end up being together for a little bit. You can see a little bit to it. Well, first of all, I would like to say this is the first movie to ever accurately depict shower sex. Definitely has that going for it. <laughs> so, it's a realistic rom-com. <laughs> it's a realistic rom-com. And, and then, too, I, I think you can definitely see, like, the, I think the best times to kind of examine the relationship. I pulled a clip from right at the beginning where it's a, where he says, like, do you like, where she asks him, do you like me? This is just to give kind of like a little, like, so just to like how they kind of play off each other. <laughs> he likes you. Okay. He Good likes, night, McKenzie. He likes you. What did you just tell her, Tom? Yeah. Sorry. Happens every time we come here. He, he, uh, I don't know, something about that guy and singing. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. He drinks and he sings and just no, loses uh, his shit. Not Mackenzie. Um, the other thing? What thing? Do you like me? Yeah, yeah, of course I like you. As friends? Right, as friends. Just as friends? Yeah, I mean, I, 
I don't know, I hadn't really thought about, um, yes. Why? No reason, I just, I think you're interesting and I'd like for us to be friends. Is that all right? So I think this is just like a good example of like the playfulness and why you can definitely see them working as a couple. Because I think, especially my first time going through this movie, I'm like, he's probably going to get her at the end. And it's kind of, we mentioned before, it's foreshadowed in the beginning that he's going to, to get her. It's kind of like the nice hook at the beginning. You get to see that like there, you can see the tension. And I think what immediately the next scene is when she just go, walks up to him and kisses him in the copy room. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the nonlinear uh, storytelling device like really works in that well. It just goes to like one situation where it's just like them having a little meet cute and or them like talking about that, like kind of like flirting a little bit, and then immediately cut to that. So the editing just works really well in that sense. And and they go back and forth really well from from when times are bad versus when times are good, kind of contrasting things like when one thing worked at the beginning and the other thing didn't work. I mean, I guess you could be, if I wanted to put my nitpick cap on, why are you going to Ikea two times in about 140 days or whatever? I, you know, <laughs> probably a little too much Ikea for my liking. Yeah, too much. They're going for the meatballs, hot dog. Isn't that in America? Oh, yeah. We, we yeah, have yeah. The, we have, we have the all, all the good stuff. <laughs> are you, come on. The Americans are going to get the food, if anything. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> There's one thing we know, it's how to eat a lot of food. <laughs> um, but I mean, so what, what do you think about their chemistry in, in the movie? I, I I love them. I love them both. And I think, um, I mean, they're both like their thing is, uh, just again to bring back to music, right? Like um, I was saying that for both of the karaoke songs, like all of the karaoke songs were consulted with um, both uh, Zoe Chanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt because they're both musicians and I'm still like holding out for a Joseph Gordon-Levitt like solo just rip but like <laughs> even there was um, a re-release and him doing Pixie song was on that re-release of the soundtrack and oh, I've never awesome. I've actually never checked it out but I bet it's amazing right and yeah. I think like both, both of those characters like web made such a point of making music a part for both of them but it's not it just never feels fake it feels real it feels like exactly who they actually be and it's because it kind of is who they actually are like we were if i was ever going to envision a relationship between these two people this is what it would be kind of it really makes me buy it yeah <laughs> it, it's you know kind of similar we covered high fidelity a few months back on the pod and it's almost like in some ways this movie's like high fidelity if both the characters were equally the john cusack character just like huge music nerds where it's just like they bounce off each other like back and back and back and forth whereas high fidelity just hasn't bounced off someone that's like yeah i don't really care about music that much <laughs> tom his character is kind of interesting i think yeah is he a quote-unquote tm nice guy you know like the guys that think treating a woman being nice to them giving them things kind of being this means that they deserve the other person's love because they do this thing because it, he does kind of come off a little bit that way i don't think he's quite like a quote-unquote 
nice guy where he's like going to be lashing and abusive but i think he you know he felt like he since he was giving her all of his love and all of his energy that she would reciprocate and she never did and i think it's kind of clearly shown that she never really viewed him that way this movie was written um based on a relationship that the writers had and sort of an amalgamation of different um of different experiences but specifically um i think it's newsletter he said that um like this was based on his real relationship where he felt the idea of a girl as opposed to like the girl herself and like we have all been there as humans you fall in love with the idea of someone whether or not you're with that person or not that is kind of tom's fatal flaw that makes him to me not as nice a guy, especially, you know, my almost 40-year-old self now watching this, like, re-watching it. Tom isn't as sweet as I thought it was. Like, he's kind of a bit of a pain in the ass, and you should really listen to what Summer was saying in the beginning and then experience a relationship through that. But my 20-something like something self used to just, like, swoon over him. And I thought he was the greatest. And now, yeah, rewatching, I'm like, Tom, give her a break. God damn it. She told you. It's, it's one of those things that, like, people always feel like Summer's the villain because, like, this film, like, takes um, Tom's uh, point of view. But, like, when you really get down to it, Tom, at the end of the day, just doesn't listen to anything she's saying. She tries to make it as clear as possible, but... Nothing. Just, yeah, but just, yeah. like, just doesn't care. He's like, oh, like, you're perfect. You're, you're going to marry me or something like that. And the expectations are in the reality scene while... It just really hammers at home where it's just like, it's never going to be what you want with Summer. Like you just move on, find someone else who's like actually wants to be yeah. committed to you because this person is not that person for you. So. I will say, because, and again, granted, we don't see every single moment, obviously in the course of the relationship over the movie, just the snippets. If they're, as, if they're hanging out and spending as much time together, and I guess probably working together in the same office would hinder that. If you're seeing a person every single day and you're talking to them when it's like a casual relationship, you're talking to each other every day, you're spending time out of the office every single day together, right? Like that line does become blurry and I I see that, but I think even him, when she said straight up to him, like, I'm not looking for a relationship. He was just like, yeah, okay, well, I'm gonna make, well, we'll it'll get there. You know, like that was just his mindset. And, and his mm -hmm. sister who was played by uh, Chloe Mertz Grace, she was excellent. She, she was excellent in, in that little sister role. I like how the, the beginning when they show the breakup, she bikes over. I'm glad you called me. Like just like <laughs> scattling over to, <laughs> to go see, uh, to go see him and, and kind of like try to snap some sense into him after summer initially ends the relationship. It's interesting. I just think yeah. it's, he, it's a good line and kind of feels very naturally human where they're not just, they don't, these characters don't really fit into just one box. They kind of are all over the, the scale and they feel very human, especially in a movie genre category like rom-coms where that's not always the case. It's a lot of times they're just very much like tropey one note mm -hmm. characters. Or this movie is like pretty much the anti, um, like the opposite of like serendipity, for example, where it's just like, you know, that movie's all about finding the one. And I found this one person on a New York City side block where this one's just like, the one doesn't really exist. It takes work to find the person. And it's, it's not just going to be this person that just drops into your life perfectly. And you can tell from the beginning, Tom, 
almost immediately puts her on a pedestal and just is trying way too hard at, at the beginning, like where he's playing the Smith song at, at the desk so she can notice him and stuff like that. Where it's just like, okay, come on, <laughs> relax here a little bit, Tom. <laughs> I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. So I think this might actually be the most difficult one to answer that we've done so far, Tommy. Who Who is the star of the movie? If you had to only pick one, uh, there's only two options in this movie specifically. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets more screen time as it's told from his perspective than Zoe Deschanel. But the two of them together are, are like symbiotic. They're both yeah. the leads of this movie. I'd say based on like how their careers turned out, I'd say Zoe Deschanel. I mean, if this movie didn't come out, we wouldn't have had New Girl. She really just like became a sitcom star after this. Um, so, and she just like brings out the persona that everyone's like, oh, that, that cool girl that like everyone wants to know and stuff like that. So, um, I'd say Zoe. That's my pick. <laughs> I, mean, I would have to agree. Although like, I've loved Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like um, from the Sun. So I am everything he's ever been in. So much. That being said, by the end of this movie, I think Doug Chanel is for sure the standout, and not only as an actress but as like character as well. Because in the end, that beautiful wrap up where you had the expectation versus reality, we've gone through all the emotions of whether or not she should have you know, told him this or he should have listened or whatever. But she, you know, Tom says. I, I I was wrong. Never believe in true love. True love doesn't exist. And she says, you know, it's one of the very final scenes. And she says, true love exists. It just doesn't. It didn't exist with me. It didn't exist with you. And she kind of wraps up the movie so nicely. So it's one of those. Not only is she like the standout star, but I feel like that kind of non-vilifies her. She kind of you know, is able to just redeem any quality or redeem herself. As Throughout whatever emotions you may have been feeling for her as the character. I think it's interesting. I want to say that I think Zoe Deschanel gives the better performance in this movie, but it, I think it's also important to mention that Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he kind of, I feel like this movie made him A-list because then what he did, he did a bunch of other things. Like he ended up being in one of the Nolan Batman movies as like Robin and almost staged to be like the next predecessor if they kept that that specific segment of batman franchise going along like he also exploded off of this too and both of their career arcs kind of went like she went tv he went more movies and then i i feel like joseph gordon levitt went away a little bit where i feel like zoe deschanel's kind of stayed more relevant and stayed more in the pop culture osmosis like at the forefront of things yeah joseph gordon levitt now seems more of like a social media personality where he has a like hit record thing and stuff like that uh that where it's not really like tv but it's like his own version of YouTube, essentially. I don't even know what Hit Record is. I just always see posting about it. <laughs> it's like entrepreneur. It's, you know, him trying to be more entrepreneurial. Yeah. I was going to ask, have either of you seen um, Mr. Corman, his show on Apple? No, that's, that's new, right? <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I, it's... it's really good. And I feel like this um, this movie, it, it sort of, it like propelled him to more like artsy, as you said, like Zoe Deschanel went a little more mainstream, whereas this was his opportunity to explore. Like, I know that he is a trained musician. He's always interested in choreography and dance. And like Mr. Harmony, take all a note scene and put it on like massive amount of drugs. And that's what that show is. It's really cool. It's really good. And 
yeah, this was sort of like that beginning of where his career was going. Nice. I'll have to check it out. Sounds awesome. It's on my never-ending television watch list, which I just feels like every time <laughs> yeah. somebody gives me a suggestion, it just grows and grows yeah. and grows. Yeah, we're never we're never gonna finish our bucket list of uh, shows to watch. <laughs> ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. So Abby, I'm Abby. I'm gonna open this question up directly to you. I don't know how familiar you are with the Muppets, but Tommy and I are huge Muppets fans. Would this movie work as a Muppet adaptation? Could you see them being able to pull this off with, with the puppetry and, and the characters from the Muppets kind of being inserted? 100%. Like, there is no in my mind. Like, Zoe is a Muppet. This is perfect. This movie would be great. What, what I'd love to see in particular would be a Muppet adaptation where it's just like, most of the movies exactly the same, except the expectation versus reality scene is different. Whereas expectation is that everyone's going to be Muppets and just like, just all puppet around. And then it cuts to the reality where everyone's like real people and he's just so depressed. He's like, oh, sure, there's fucking Muppets here instead. <laughs> Tommy, I'm pretty Tommy, I'm pretty sure that's just like you and I every time we watch a movie. The expectation is like, there's just going to be Muppets in this, right? Yeah, like, come on, where's the puppets in this? <laughs> and then the reality is it's never there. It's never quite there. Uh, yeah, I, I, think this, I think this would work. It's playful enough. I think the the dance scene in particular would be an excellent with like the Muppets just kind of like all bopping around with like Joseph Gordon-Levitt dancing with them. I think, I think that'd be fun. He seems like he would have been tailor-made to like be a guest host on the, on the Muppet show if, if he was alive when that was a thing. Oh yeah. hundred percent. He would be great. Uh, great Actually both of, both of them would have, if they ever brought it back, they both like end up being guest hosts on, on the Muppet show. Yeah. I think, I think it would work. For now, it's time to do our reviews. Abby, we'll kick it off to you. Give us your final thoughts on the movie, your score. The movie still, I still love it. I love this mess just as much as I did the first time I watched this. But I'd say if you were asking me way back when this came out, this was for sure a five out of five for me. Now I think like with some more age and wisdom, I'm going to go with like a four out of five, but I really do love it. Tommy? Yeah. So um, I, this is my first time really like paying attention to the movie. This is my, my third watch, but this is the first time I actually sat down and sat with it and just like watched it fully. I think it's a great like anti-rom-com where it's essentially a breakup uh, movie more than anything. And it just really gets the perspective of just like, hitting that point where it's just like you realize during the process of your breakup grieving that you're like, okay, you're just like rose-colored, uh, rose-tinted glasses. You're just thinking of all the great things. Uh, I love the chemistry between Zoe and Joseph Gordon and the soundtrack's awesome. Uh, I'm going to give this 4.5 out of 5. So it was a really fun watch. So I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of 5. I really enjoyed it. I just kind of have a different scale for movies. And in terms of rom-coms, I think 4 out of 4 is probably the highest. 4 out of 5 is probably the highest I'll go. This is an excellent (laughs) rom-com. Genre bias. <laughs> it's genre bias. Listen, it's my podcast, all right? I, you know, I'm, I'm allowed yeah. to be biased on here. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> you know, it's really well stylized. It's really well acted. It's really well paced. It's a nice, brisk 90 minutes, which I think Tommy and I will both, I'm sure, Abby, you're similar. We miss 90-minute movies. I'm sick of every new release having to be two and a half hours long. Oh. Just just give me, give me something nice and trim. I, no, I like big 
movies. David Lynch is like my favorite director, so don't oh, ask I, me. I have I, very unpopular opinion. I'm a oh, I'm a big <laughs> no, I'm a big David Lynch fan. We're gonna cover Mulholland Drive, and uh, that's one of those movies that, like, uh, to me, uh, right. whenever he tries to get me to watch it, I'm just like, I don't want to watch Dave Lynch right now. <laughs> I, at this point, it's just become more of just like me trying to troll him, where I'm just like, fuck Very your Mulholland cool. Drive. <laughs> it's very long. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm the David Lynch fan out of the two of us here. Tommy is the slash horror slasher horror fan. So I feel like you either go one or two ways. You like, you know. Uh... Oh. Yeah. Oh no. I go for the. Oh, I, I'm right in the middle. I'll just I'll join you both for all of those. <laughs> <laughs> or we don't even have to record it. Let's talk about them. All the movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just every every single horror movie. So. October's gonna be packed. I can't wait. So, cause keep on telling Timmy, just like bounce off ideas from like, okay, which ones have you seen? Which ones have you seen? And I'm like, none of them. I'm like, none of them. Pick, pick your lit, <laughs> pick yeah. your lit of the biggest four <laughs> horror movies of all time, and we can watch them yeah. outside of like The Shining. Just pick yeah. them. Oh my gosh, that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so, Abby, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can we find uh, your podcast and you on social media? Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are, so we're side with Abby, A-B-D-I-E, and John, J-O-N, um, on Instagram. And you can find us on any of your streaming platforms. That's like our. And Tommy, just to follow it up, where can, where can the people find us if they're looking for more? Yeah, so we're on uh, face, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, TikTok, at Pod. You can uh, leave us a five-star review and leave Sidetracked also a five-star review. It uh, really helps out uh, both pods uh, on wherever you get your podcast. So thanks, guys, for listening. Thank you all so much for listening. This was a lot of fun. We look forward to seeing you next week.